people who employ others for work get lots of excuses. People don't like to show up for work all the time, and so they offer a lot of excuses, and some of them are just downright crazy. I was looking at some of the excuses that people get for not going to work. One guy said that his arm got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store, and it wouldn't let him go. He, he couldn't come to work. A lady called in and said that there was a large spider in her house and she had to stay home to try to deal with that. Another person said his uniform caught on fire when he put it in the microwave to dry it. And then this one, get this one, a person called in, said she had a headache from going to too many garage sales. Now, there might be some of those around here that I, that I know of. A headache from going to too many garage sales. What about excuses like that? Well, excuses are often offered by us. Right? We're pretty good. One of, the, one of the common talents that we all possess is the ability to make excuses. And basically, when I make an excuse, I'm saying, it's really not my fault. It's not my fault for what happened. There's a, there's a reason. There's a justification for what happened. Um, the actual name for that is what we call self-justification, right? It's self-justification. I'm justifying me, and it's not really my fault. There's some extenuating circumstance. Something else is going on that caused it to be so. Well, we do that all the time. We do that about almost everything in our lives. As I said, it's a very common talent possessed by human beings, but it doesn't work. And there's no place where self-justification is more dangerous than in the spiritual realm because that puts our eternal souls at jeopardy. We want to talk about the problem of self-justification for a few minutes in our lesson this morning. Again, we want to avoid it, obviously. Thanks for being here today. Uh, as was said earlier, we've got a, a rainy day in Middle Tennessee, but it's great to be able to come to this convenient, comfortable place to join together in worship. We're glad that you've chosen to be a part of it today. We've got visitors. We're always grateful for our visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. Uh, if we can assist you with Bible study materials or to study the Bible in person with you, if there's anything else that we can do to be a help to you, let us know. But again, we're glad for each and every one of you. We appreciate you coming our way, uh, and we look forward to this time of worship together. As a text for our study this morning, I want to refer to one of those verses that Monty read to us just a few moments ago. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus had had an interaction with the Pharisees, and some of the things that, that he had said actually kind of crossed the Pharisees because they were covetous individuals, the text says. And in Luke 16, verse 15, Jesus responds to the Pharisees by saying, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Now get this, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees of his day, but I'd suggest to you that the statement that Jesus makes there is probably very applicable to our time. He could be speaking about people of our day as well. In regards to self-justification, let's just simply point out the obvious, and that is that we have this we have a tendency to try to justify ourselves. We do it about everything. Why I couldn't get to work, why I was late to an appointment, why I didn't mow my grass. We try to justify ourselves in all sorts of ways. 
Uh, that's very obvious, and uh, that's, that, that's an obvious thing to point out. But I would also stress to you that it is absolutely not new. People in our day and time are much engaged in self-justification, but that's not new. As you well remember, that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve had been given instruction not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they did. Tempted by Satan, Eve complied, and then Eve got Adam to partake as well. When God confronted them about this, in Genesis 3, verse 12, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. You see how that a complete effort there to pass that off? It's, it's really not my fault. Adam said it was the woman's fault. We, we've actually pointed out that Adam almost blamed God for that too. It was the woman's fault. And you, you don't forget, by the way, you're the one who gave me the woman, right? So it's not my fault, it's one fault. Maybe in a sort of backdoor way, it's your fault, God, because you gave me the woman. And then he says to the woman, what have you done? And she said, well, it was the serpent's fault. The serpent beguiled me. The very first episode of sin in all of history. And what do you get as a reaction to it? Self-justification, right? And so again, although we do this and we do it a lot, it's not a new thing. Let me give you a couple other examples. You remember Abraham, when Abraham lied or convinced Sarah to help him in lying about their relationship. So Abimelech took Sarah uh, only to suffer consequences because he thought he was doing a, an, an innocent thing to take Sarah to be his wife. And when he began to suffer for, the, for that act, he confronted Abraham. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So Abraham, again, is trying to excuse the fact that he effectively lied to Abimelech. Uh, and he said, well, because I thought you'd probably kill me if I told the truth. And besides that, actually, he says, there is an element of truth in, in what we were pretending. She is, in a sense, my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So, oh, yeah, it's sort of true. We were using it as an excuse, a way to justify ourselves. Even the great patriarch Abraham engaged in that sort of activity. One of the classic cases of self-justification is that of King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. You know this episode well. This is when Saul and the Israelites had been told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Don't bring, don't bring back any spoil from the battle. Now, you usually would, if you want a battle, you would bring back spoil. You would bring back valuable things, uh, bring back animals. Maybe bring back slaves taken captive in the battle. But when you want a battle, you usually took spoil. But in this case, God said, don't bring back anything, don't take any spoil, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, they, didn't, they won the battle, but they didn't follow that rule. And they brought back spoil, animals, and even the king. They spared his life, King Agag. So Samuel, the judge and prophet of God, goes out to meet King Saul. Samuel came to Saul. This is Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 15, beginning verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul, he's the king, right? He's in control. He's in charge. He tells people and they do what he says, right? What does he do when Samuel says, what, what am I hearing here? I'm hearing animals. If you utterly destroyed everything, how come I'm hearing animals? Oh, oh, well, the people, they spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. We've, we've destroyed everything else. What is Saul doing there? Clearly an act of self-justification. It was the people who did it. And by the way, we did it for a, well, not we. I don't want to include myself in this. The people did this with the intention of doing something good, offering a big sacrifice to the Lord. Self-justification, right? That text goes on, you know it well. Samuel said, that doesn't wash. That just simply doesn't work. We're not buying that. Didn't work for Samuel. And then one more. In Exodus, this is, this is a pretty amazing one to me. In Exodus chapter 32, you remember Moses up on the mountain. He hasn't come down for days and days. And the people get a little antsy. And so they approach Aaron, Moses' brother. Exodus 32, beginning verse 22. Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said to me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know we wot not what has become of him. And I said to them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, and I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. <laughs> man, please, Aaron. You know the old expression, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. You're trying to sell that to me? You're trying to convince me of that? Notice he puts it off on the people. You know these people, Aaron says. And, and, and he said, basically what they did is they gave me gold items they had, and we put it in the fire, and it just, this calf just popped out. It just happened. I don't know how that happened. I didn't have anything to do with that. The calf just popped out. Can you believe that Aaron would do that? So what we've got here uh, is a case of lots of examples of self-justification throughout time. It goes all the way back to Adam. But it includes great people like Abraham and Aaron. People engage in self-justification. There's a real tendency to do that on our part. Now, having said that, we would point out that there's a possibility that if I get engaged in this excuse-making and this self-justification, there's a chance I could pass that off. I might convince you that it is actually so. Usually, uh, our, our excuses are, are pretty lame. It's common to make excuses, but they're usually pretty lame, and I would say in the majority of cases, people can pass that, uh, can't pass that off, and, and it's pretty obvious and transparent. But there are instances when people who are really good at excuse-making might be able to convince others. We hear once in a while of a, of a situation uh, where someone was, was able to carry out a charade for years. They, they, they kept the wool pulled over people's eyes for years and years. It's not typical, but occasionally it's possible uh, that you might be able to persuade people with your excuse-making and your self-justification. Now, again, I want to point out excuses are typically pretty lame. You remember... The, the parable that Jesus told in Luke 14, beginning at verse 16, 
a certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to, notice, make excuses. They began to make excuses. One guy said, I've bought, a, I've bought a piece of land and I've got to go see it. What? You didn't look at it before you bought it? You really, you, you really want us to believe that? The, other, the next guy said, well, I've bought some oxen and I've got to go test them out. That would be our equivalent to say, I've bought a used car and I didn't test drive it first. You want me to believe that? The third guy said, well, I've married a wife and I just simply can't come. Why? What, what, what would prevent you from coming? You know, interestingly, in the context of that parable, he didn't say, I just married a wife. He, he, I think a lot of times we take the implication that he means he was a newlywed, but it may not even have been so. He said, oh, well, I'm married, I can't come. Really? How does that justify not coming to the feast? All of those were lame excuses. Our excuses are usually pretty lame, typically as transparent as those in the parable that Jesus taught. But let's imagine that we could convince people. Notice in Matthew chapter 23, beginning verse 27, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so ye also outward appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy. And iniquity. I, I want to draw your attention to this. It's possible to appear righteous unto men, but inwardly be full of hypocrisy and iniquity. In other words, our excuse making, even if it causes others to believe that, temporarily perhaps, even if we can convince others, maybe it'll go on for years, I'm, I'm engaged in this excuse making, this self justification, and I've got other people convinced, uh, it really doesn't work because inwardly, I'm still not what I ought to be. Think about how maybe we this self-justification, we, we convince ourselves and we try to convince others that it's okay with our self-justification. For instance, have you heard uh, about, of course, this is college football wrapping up the season. been a lot of coaching changes. Uh, coaches got fired, new ones got hired, and there's been a lot of swapping around of coaches. If you investigate that very much, one of the common things you hear about football coaches is that they use profanity. I mean, we, we, used, to, we used to say uh, a fellow cusses like a drunken sailor. And maybe that expression needs to be changed to say he cusses like a college football coach. And, and so he, here's this coach, and he's using all this sort of profanity. What's his justification? Oh, well, that motivates the players to play harder, he says. And he, maybe he convinces himself it's so, and maybe he convinces the fans that it's so. It's self-justification, right? You actually convince yourself. Maybe other people potentially buy into that. Or uh, maybe some movie director, when he's confronted about some of the horrible, graphic, immoral scenes in his movie making, he says, well, yeah, but that's necessary to convey the story. You know, he justifies that. Or here's a person who's let himself get all wrapped up in gambling of one form or another, but he justifies it by saying the proceeds from the gambling are used for a good cause. It's okay to gamble so long as the proceeds of the gambling are used for a good cause. Or how about people who argue that drunkenness 
or homosexuality, or maybe even just a bad temper. You know, those, I, I'm, I'm genetically inclined about all those things. Uh, I, I have a ge- genetic inclination toward alcoholism. The homosexuals want us to believe that they were born that way, that genetically they're inclined to be homosexuals. Or for that matter, the guy who just simply can't control his temper, and he flies off the handle of uh, uncontrolled rage and anger. But that's just the way I am. What is that? All of that's just self-justification, right? And again, some people are convinced. I think a lot of people in our society are convinced homosexuals are born that way. Alcoholism is just a sickness, and so forth and so on. You might be able to convince some people with your excuse-making, with your self-justification. I want to tell you, that does not stop with people of the world. As Christians, we might offer that same sort of lame excuse-making and self-justification. We're not as evangelistic as we ought to be. Uh, We're not out trying to convert the lost as much as we should. But our justification for that is, well, people just not interested, you know. People not interested, what are you going to do? So we, we justify our inactivity in evangelism by saying people just not interested. Or how about in the church there's some unfaithful member uh, engaged in ungodliness, uh, undisciplined, unruly. The Scriptures talk about withdrawing from those who are disorderly. But lots of churches have stopped doing that altogether. And the excuse that's offered is it just doesn't work. So while we imagine it doesn't work, we use that as a justification to, to not do that. Well, how about divorce? We've even got some preachers among our own number who are teaching now multiple justifications for divorce. In contrast to Jesus, who is suggesting there's just one exception that allows for scriptural divorce and remarriage. But we've got preachers who uh, are saying, well, in this time we've got to allow for other justifications. They might convince people. I think they are convincing some people with those kind of arguments. Or how about just simply not attending the services faithfully. Christians are really good about offering excuses for why they don't attend the services faithfully. Why they're not back on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Why they allow things to get in the way of even worshiping faithfully on Sunday. They make their excuses. And I want to tell you, there's the possibility that some people might be convinced by those excuses. That Our excuses are usually pretty lame, very transparent. But even if I could justify myself in my own eyes and yours, the bottom line is God sees through all of that. We're not pulling the wool over his eyes. He's fully aware of what the realities are. These Pharisees that Jesus was dealing with in this text, they probably congratulated themselves on their righteousness. You know, they were justifying themselves before men uh, they justified themselves and before men. That's the first two points that we made. But notice, Jesus said, God knows your hearts. God knows what the real case is. God sees your heart. And that was true for them, and that's true for us. And when we engage in this fruitless act of self-justification, know full well that God sees it. He sees through it all. He realizes how things really are couple of simple verses that we use so often. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, 
but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is nothing hidden from God. Think about that. Spend some time really contemplating it. There is nothing about me that God isn't fully aware of. He knows everything I do and what my motivations are for doing those things. He even sees my heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows what's going on in my head. There is nothing hidden. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. That's something to think about. This self-justification won't work. Not in regards to God. Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And so, the fact of the matter is, we're really expert at self-justification. We do it. We do it a lot. It doesn't work a lot. Sometimes it does. I might convince myself. I might convince you. The bottom line is, God sees through that all. We need to take the lesson to heart. It's, a, it's not a new tendency. People have been doing it forever, but it doesn't work. Think about your situation this morning. Are you right with God? That's what ultimately matters most of all, right? In fact, nothing else matters at all if we're not right with God. Are you right with God? Or have you been offering excuses as to why you do the things that you do? Excuse-making doesn't work. Self-justification doesn't work. Be right with God. If you're not yet a Christian Obey that gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you're a Christian already but you haven't been living right, don't keep making excuses. Make it right. Repent of your wrongs. Confess them. Pray God for forgiveness. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.